Welcome to Miami Creators. I am your host, Corrado, and in each episode, I bring you the inspiring stories behind Miami's most influential businesses, individuals, entrepreneurs, and more. On today's episode, we chat with Yaniv Cohen, aka The Spice Detective, owner of Jaffa Miami, author of the My Spiced Kitchen Cookbook, and winner of the season finale of Netflix Best Leftovers Ever show. A passionate believer in the power of spices and herbs, Yaniv is constantly tapping into his background growing up in a Sephardic Jewish family with North African and Middle Eastern roots to help others discover and unlock the powers of spices and herbs through everyday cooking. On today's episode, Yaniv and I chat about his journey into the culinary space, the way his daughter inspired much of who he is today, we get a sneak peek behind what it was like for him to be a part of the Netflix show, and so much more. So, please, sit back, relax, and enjoy this fun and insightful conversation with the Spice Detective, Yaniv Cohen. Yaniv, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It is good to have you on. I heard and I learned about you from Camilo Rojas, which <laughs> I can see you have his artwork here in your house. Yep. It's just amazing guy. Amazing yeah, guy. He's very talented um, and just very special friend. It's very, very nice to be, you know, part of his world. I always get inspired by Camilo. Yes. Yes. Very true. Um Yaniv, if, if you don't mind, go ahead and give yourself uh, a few moments to introduce yourself to the listeners, a little bit about yourself, and then we can kind of kick it off from there. Sounds good. Uh, my name is Yaniv Cohen. Uh, I was born in Israel. I moved to Miami about 15 years ago. Uh, I'm a chef. So my passion uh, started at a very young age, you know, the oldest of five boys. And uh, my mother always needed help in the kitchen, you know, fitting <laughs> a big family. Um And I was drawn to the kitchen from a very young age. I mean, my family is very big, um, yeah, but, you know, very big with cooking, uh, hosting, holidays. Um, my parents uh, arrived to Israel from North Africa and from Iraq. So they brought a lot of spices and flavors and aromas with them. Okay. So I felt, I mean, I feel very lucky growing in that environment um, that was very flavorful. And when I moved to the U.S., I um, realized that there's a lot of people who are not exposed to it. Um, you know, the Latin culture does have, and that's the beauty of Miami, a lot of spices and herbs. But um, American um, are not exposed to it, you know. And um, sometimes the food is missing flavor. So, I so you found yourself going into like restaurants and you're like, what is this? Like, this could be so much better. <laughs> right. I'm like, do you guys know what za'atar is? They're like... What is that? So the world of spices um, that I felt was so, you know, so approachable and easy to access in Israel was very much missing here. And you can see the difference and, and the change happening. But I made it my mission to introduce people here to those beautiful spices from the Middle East and how they can change the flavor of your food, how they can add aroma, how they can add color and health, health properties, micronutrients, minerals, antioxidants. Um, today, people realize that turmeric is the best anti-inflammatory there is, you know, readily available, natural, just add it to your food and, you know, benefit from it. So 
you know, the change is happening and people are more into natural food and natural um, medicine. Um, so I see it happening, which is great. Uh, but if I can help other people even, you know, get to know other spices and what they can do for your food and how we cook with them. And it's just my, uh, you know, it's a, such a pleasure. And when I get messages about people um, trying new spices or or adding spices to their diet, even Valerie, Camilo's wife, she's like, you know, when we met and we spoke about those spices, she's like, and Eve, you know, za'atar is my thing, sumac, turmeric. It's like, wow, you really changed my cuisine and my my you know, the way I use spices, the way I eat. And that's the biggest compliment and the most pleasure I can get because that's my mission, you know? So I wrote a cookbook about it. <laughs> right. And so you have, um, f- so from what I've learned about you, so you have one restaurant in Midtown, you're mm-hmm. opening up another one in Hallandale. Right. You have your cookbook. You've been on Netflix series yep. of leftovers and everything. So <laughs> um, how would, Maybe let's go back a little bit, and you know, you you talked about your your history of helping your mom at at you know in the kitchen and all of that. So, how do you go from that to where you are today in terms of what's what's that story of when wow. you got here? <laughs> you see this gap of of spices, and yeah, what's going through your well, mind? What, are, what what's that story like? So it's you know it it didn't start like oh my god I see a gap in spices. It actually started with my immediate family and friends. Okay. Um, you know, and, and, and the biggest, so I've always cooked, I've always cooked for my friends, my family, uh, my neighbors, um, you know, introducing them. But it was, again, always like within my family or my friends, my circle, while I was working for other people. I was managing restaurants, I was doing catering for other people. And then the move to Miami was to open a second branch of Shiraz Creative. Shiraz Creative started as a as a small catering company, okay, but very like high end, and it developed into a full production digital uh, event experiences. But that was my move to Miami from New York fifteen years ago. Okay, I became a partner. My job within that incredible firm was the hospitality, you know, the catering, uh, the food, the beverage, mixology, anything to do with hospitality and food was my um, department for what kind of events? Is, was so it, it was a lot event? of. We did a lot of corporate events. Okay. Um, you know anything from small cocktail parties for the fashion industry to uh, big galas for the Miami charities. Um, you know some private events, weddings, um, but anything. You know, you know from small fifty people gathering to five hundred uh, people buffet. So, Got it. So my department was the catering, hospitality, food and beverage. Um, and I, you know, I was incredibly creative. Uh, I worked with a lot of different chefs, um, over the years and it was just, um, an incredible journey. But when you do catering, the food or the, the, the theme, let's say of the event is based on your, on your client's wishes, needs, vision, heritage, which is great. And it was an incredible experience. But for me... You know, coming from the Middle East, my passion was more the Middle Eastern food, the food that I grew up with, the incredible Mediterranean and all those flavors that people were not as familiar with here in the U.S. So the biggest change for me was when my daughter was born, 10 10 and a half years ago. When my daughter was born, 
I kind of freaked out. I'm like, okay, so I was growing up in Israel. I've experienced incredible array of cuisines, you know? Like I said, my, my, my family came Iraq and Tunisia, which is North Africa, and then all my neighbors come from so many different places on earth. And everyone brought their spices, their food, the beverage, the, the culture, the music, the, the clothing. So you get like this incredible, you get exposed to a lot. And when it comes to food, you know, you grow up here, it's not the same. So my daughter was born and I freaked out because I was like, okay, so I'm going to experience, you know, she, I, I want her to have some, at least some of the experiences that I had as a kid, which really enriched my world. Okay. Um, so I started teaching her moms. So she has two moms um, and me, which is another, <laughs> we'll have to do another, <laughs> another uh, podcast about that. Um, you know, such a journey. It's an unbelievable. Um, but I decided I'm going to teach her moms how to use those spices, how to use those flavors, because they grew up here. And, you know, I started writing recipes for them, sharing information, talking about the health benefits from onion to garlic to aloe vera to turmeric, you know, cumin, cardamom, you know, clove. And they were in awe. They heard about it, but they never used it. They didn't have all the information about it. They didn't know how to cook with it. And that's something that I find with a lot of people. They love spices. They're, you know fascinated by spices, but they're like, okay, so now what do I do? Okay, I bought like 20 different spices at Publix. What do I do with them? Their it's idea, like most people just throw it in there somewhere, mix it in and right. hope and pray that it works right. out. <laughs> I mean, luckily we live in the age of the internet, so you can yes. actually go online. And that's where 15 years, about 15 years ago, or maybe less, I want to say maybe seven years ago, three years after my daughter was born, I started a blog called The Spice Detective where I share recipes and information about spices and how to use them. That's how it all started, okay? You're asking me about the book and Netflix. Yeah. That was like the, the, the foundation. So, you know, from blog, I started a YouTube channel, sharing recipes, you know, helping people understand how do you use spices, what do they do for you? You know, and I try to choose recipes that are not overly complicated. You know, sometimes you see on Netflix, on, on, on Instagram, chefs that come up with incredible recipes, but you know, with ingredients that nobody can get, you know, they want a feather from a, from a, a an eagle and they want like this, uh, a flower that only bloom once a year. And they're yeah. like, you know, so what's the point? Five minute recipe. Right, yeah. Five minute recipe. <laughs> Go find the feathers and the blooming uh, night in, I don't know. So the idea is to make it approachable. Right. So people are not intimidated. What's the point in sharing your knowledge if it's not practical? You know, of course. So I choose recipes that are easy and fun and delicious and family friendly. So everybody can, you know, you can do it with kids. It has to be kids friendly too. You want to entice your kids to use those flavors because kids, you know, can be very difficult when it comes to food. Of course, if you grow up in my family, you know, there's no other choice. You get you get bombarded with all these like incredible dishes full of flavor. Like you know, I think in the Latin culture is the same. You get ropa vieja yeah. and you eat it, you know? Yeah, whatever you get, you eat. And that's it. No, you're not getting up right. until you're but, done. <laughs> but that's how you develop the palate. Yeah. So the idea is to make or to take the guesswork out of the spice world. And the blog, you know, became a YouTube channel, became an, uh, an Instagram account. And, and you were doing the blog um, 
after you opened your restaurant or while you were doing no. the catering? Uh, well, I was doing catering. Okay. And the catering was completely separated. The restaurant came because I used to do pop-up. I used to do pop-up dinners that were like uh, spice journeys. Okay? okay. So you would come to the pop-up dinner and you'll have five courses and each course was dedicated to a different spice. So people get to experience the spice and how to you you know how to utilize it in different you know dishes and they really get a journey from the begin from first course to dessert everything was beautifully spiced but one spice was more the highlight so when people really get the whole experience and get to taste it um, so when they open so my restaurant in the design district is part of a food hall called Mia Market the owners of the market when they came to Miami from New Orleans. They were looking for different chefs, local chefs who wanted to, you know, extend or expand their offering. So they heard about my pop-ups and they approached me and said, hey, this is what we're doing. We would love to have you part of this market. What's nice about the Mia market is that it has different uh, chefs from different regions. So you can find myself, which has which is Middle Eastern, you have Italian, you have Mexican, you have sushi, you have American, um, you know, Vietnamese. So it's a beautiful, almost like a world market. Yeah, good melting pot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, awesome. you know, the whole family goes and everybody can order from somewhere else, which is great. That's the whole idea of food halls. So they approached me. We did a tasting. They loved it and said, okay, we have a spot for you. And that's how the restaurant opened. Got it. The book came because they, um, the publisher, um, so, you know, the recipes, the blog, the YouTube channel, and the, um, the Instagram account, and they said, we, they work a lot with chefs. Uh, they do a lot of cookbooks. And they said, we don't have anybody that really work with spices. We would love for you to write a book that is really about spices and sharing that information and knowledge. So the cookbook came about, it's called My Spiced Kitchen. And it's uh, 15, ep um, episode, <laughs> 15 <laughs> chapters. Each one is dedicated to one spice. So a little bit of history, uh, benefits, aromas, flavors, and how to use it. The idea, again, is to, you know, take the intimidation out of spice work. And I take it that these are all, like, readily accessible spices, right? It's not like that, you yes. know, feather from the eagle that it's no. like... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very accessible. I mean, some of the spices are spice mixes. So, oh, okay. like for instance, you have um, a, something they use in Egypt called duka, and it's a spice mix that you can make at home, but it includes also nuts. Oh, so okay. it has some walnuts and it has cumin and it has, uh, you know, sesame and you can actually make it at home. So it's almost like there's something that is um, interesting in the Middle East. There are spice mixes. Okay, one of them is called Baharat, one of them is called Ras al Hanut. There's, the Zatar itself is also uh, somewhat of a mix because it has um, the green herb, the Zatar, with sesame and a little bit of salt. Some people add sumac. The idea with those spices is that once you mix them, you store them, and they're like almost like your one stop shop. So you add it to stews, to soups, to meat, to fish. Yeah. Depends on the spice, of course. So. And even when it's a spice mix, of course, in the book, you'll have the recipe of how to create the spice mix. Got and it. then you have the recipes with the spice mix and how you can incorporate them into your food. Okay. So, you know, you asked me about how everything came about. I think sometimes you're, you know, we think that we choose our destiny, but I think sometimes the destiny chooses you. 
You know what I mean? It's almost like, you know, what came first? Because, you know, sometimes you don't plan. Um, I never planned to become a chef or, or have, you know, the culinary arts my career. Uh, I loved it. It was my passion. I enjoyed cooking. I enjoyed sharing my knowledge, enjoy hospitality. But I never thought, you know, oh, that's going to be, you know, what I'm going to do in my life. What did you think? I, you know, I love the arts. I love the theater. Um, I always knew it's going to be something creative, but I, you know, I never gave it too much thought, but it almost like the culinary took over, Okay, you know? Um, Where are you turning to for, for ideas or inspiration for either your recipes or, or anything else that you have going on? Because you, <clears throat> you, this, this is, this is an interesting dynamic that shows up a lot of times in all of these interviews, which is. There's the creativity side of, mm-hmm. of, of what you're doing, right? The recipes and, and all of these. And, but then you're also having to manage the business right. aspect of it, right? Which can also have a level of creativity or, or great <laughs> levels of creativity yeah. in terms of what you're doing, what you're trying to do, coming up with innovative ideas or anything. So yeah. I'm interested to, to know where, where you get your ideas from, where you draw inspiration from, both on the on the cooking side, on mm-hmm. the recipe side, but also on, on the business side of things? Well, the business side, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't know about how creative for me, like I don't even like to make schedule. Okay. Or, <laughs> that's why I hired a manager. You deal with the schedule, you deal with the invoices, okay. you know, that's, there's a bookkeeper that deals with all the bills and payroll. I, um, you know, that's not my uh, forte or my passion. Um, but for, for creativity for my recipes and my cuisine. So, you know, going to other restaurants, following other chefs, uh, you know, even like uh, cooking shows, you know. Um, a lot of, um, every time I go to Israel, I try to eat in as many Israeli restaurants as possible. Um, there's there's a big variety. You know, if you go to the north, you have the Druze with incredible uh, cuisine. These the Israeli Arabs that have their own restaurants and style. Um, and there's more and more restaurants. There's incredible chefs that I really admire and appreciate. So that's definitely one of the ways to expand your palate. Uh, being in a food hall, you know, you work with different chefs from, you know, and, and we also share a kitchen. You know, the, the idea of a food hall is that it's a shared kitchen. And then we work from there. So I always watch the other chefs. Um, you know, it's all, you, and we always ask each other questions. What are you making? What is that? What is that special? And you taste it. So tasting. And even though it might not be my cuisine, uh, they might have a, um, a flavor combination that I really love. And you can build on it and make it your own. Right. You know, and make it more Mediterranean or Middle Eastern. Uh, you know, Magazines. There's um. There's a magazine from Israel that I really love. It's all about. They call it's called the table. It's okay. all about and and you know they have special editions for the holidays for different different regions, different cuisines, and it's just incredible. Even traveling magazines, they also deal with um the different cuisine of different regions. So traveling is definitely a way to expand your horizon. You know. What are some common uh, myths or misconceptions that you 
that you know are fairly common either in, in your field or your type of cuisine? Anything that comes to mind that you go, oh, this is, people usually think this, but not so much. Like mm. they would be surprised to know that X, Y, or Z. Well, of course, when you think about Israeli food, people think falafel and hummus, you know, but it's so much more than that. And the beauty of Israeli cuisine is that it's very fusion. So, you know, Jews moved back to Israel from, like I said, from many regions. And at first, each group had their own, you know, they kept their own food and their own traditions. But the second generation and third generation um, started to experience the different flavors, the different spice, different ingredients from different regions. And for instance, you can find dishes in Israel that has Yemenite, Iraqi, and Moroccan influences in one dish. You know, it's right. very, it's, a, <laughs> it's kind of freaky. But, and, and, and for, if you don't know, you think, oh, this is, this is how it's supposed to be. This is the dish. But when you kind of like explore the dish further, um, you realize that the green sauce came from Yemen. The the white part or the the grilling part came from with a with a cinnamon. Let's say came from Morocco, and then another addition or hard boiled egg, for instance, came from you know the Iraqi cuisine or the amba, for instance. There's a, there's a thing called amba. It's a it's a chutney. It's a pickled mango chutney with turmeric and fennel creek. Okay, it's very tangy. And when you go to a falafel shop in Israel today, you will always find it next to the tahini. It's almost like you squeeze it on your pita bread, right? Okay. On your sandwich. But the amba sauce has nothing to do with falafel because falafel is more, you know, Egyptian, Lebanese, Israeli. They don't have falafel. Like, it's not Iraqi, right? But the amba came from Iraq with the Jews from Iraq. Mm. But now... That sauce goes on every falafel sandwich. And that's the perfect example for fusion that right. we have there in Israel when it comes to the flavors. So, so you have so like older com- generations that they're like looking at this. They're like, this is not how we had it. And then the newer generations don't know any different, right? Like, right. They don't realize how, <laughs> how things know, have evolved. Nobody, over- only in Israel, you would find a falafel shop with amba sauce. Does that make sense? Right. It doesn't happen anywhere else in the world that serves falafel. But it's it's a very interesting concept. And that's just a small example of, of what's happening. And especially with the new, newer generation chefs, how they, you know, take all those flavors and all those traditions and all those um, ingredients and make something completely new. Right. You know, completely different. And it's, it's beautiful. How have you seen Miami, you know, 15 years ago until now? Oh, how has that kind of... <laughs> How has the food, the, oh, it's, it's all good. of that changed? It's unbelievable. They, Miami is not the same city that I moved into. When I moved to Miami 15 years ago, all, there was only South Beach, pretty much. There's, there was nothing outside of South Beach. I mean, there was, but it wasn't as trendy or as fun or as uh, sophisticated. And in the last 15 years, the not just in the food scene, the art scene, the you know every aspect of life of Miami, has changed and to the better. It's um, it's an incredible evolving city in like a pace I've never seen anywhere before. It's incredible. I mean, and you know, I mean, it, it, it's even more so now. I mean, it was going that that direction, you know, to begin with, but COVID has made it accelerate even more 
where people are moving here and opening like ma major food groups, and one of them is called Major, um, are opening here like, it's almost like, what do you call it? Mushrooms after the rain. Right. Incredible restaurants, incredible service. You know, Miami was, everybody was talking about Miami doesn't have a good service before. And now it's like the best restaurants in the world are moving to Miami. Yeah. So. Where, where do you see that going in the next, you know, what are some benefits as well as some challenges that you think that will, that will cause in the next, I don't know, three years, five years? I mean, you know, the cost of living is going to go up. The cost of, you know, uh, real estate, which is, which is great for investors, but it's not good for the regular person who's trying to, you know, regular family, Miami, born and raised, trying to buy their first home. Right. It's, or open up a restaurant if, they, if that's what right, they want to do or something like that. Right. So... It is amazing that Miami is becoming such an international city. Um, definitely, you know, one of the top top cities, top ten cities in the world, right? In every aspect. What needs to happen is the infrastructure, the traffic. It's it's actually becoming. <laughs> I it's I becoming personally th think it. You know, it feels worse than before the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Sure. And I don't know if it's that we got no. spoiled for that brief period of time where traffic wasn't an issue. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, we're back to this. But for me, I it think feels it's worse. worse. It's worse than before. You are not wrong about yeah, that. It's, it's becoming, it's almost unbearable. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, you briefly touched on this in terms of you never imagined that this is what you would be doing and how your life was going to play out. Looking back, any pivotal moments that, key moments that you go, this, this is when things kind of clicked, or this is when I started heading in this direction or something like that, that you go, if it had not been for these key moments, maybe it's one, maybe it's several. Mm. It's a good question. I think that, um, I can tell you that when I was, when I was, um, almost 21, I traveled in Europe, uh, just for fun. I wanted to see Europe. I was very curious and I got to, I'm going to try and make it short. I got to Italy and, um, I met a Jewish family. Long story short, at the age of less than 21, I became their cook for six months, out of the blue. Don't ask me how. Only later I looked out, you know, I looked back and I said, oh my God, you know, I started this at such a young age and I probably it wasn't as good as I am today. That was a major moment that I didn't think about it at the time, but I was thinking about it later on. I think coming to Miami was a major thing because I came here to manage a catering company that became very, you know, known in Miami, starting a blog and sharing my love and passion for food with bigger audiences definitely pushed me in that direction. You know, doing pop-ups, you know, and uh, producing, I mean, it was a little bit easier for me because I came from the, the, the world of producing catering events. Of course. Um, but somehow decided to create pop-up dinners that were my cuisine and my, you know, the love for spices and introducing them to more people. So definitely becoming more public about my passion was a, a big factor in going that direction. Was there a moment, you know, whether it was the blog or the Instagram or YouTube, was there a moment when, when you kind of felt like it started to click? Like, as you start, you know, a lot of people start different projects and some, some go some places, some don't. Um, was there a moment where you felt like, hey, I, I'm onto something here. Like, did, I'm striking a nerve with 
I think that when I was approached to to become part of the uh, the food hall and have my own permanent, you know, food outlet, right, was definitely a big moment. Okay. That it's like okay, so now it's becoming more of like, you know, they, it's becoming more of a business. Right. Let's put it this way: this is going to become your how you make you know a living. And the book deal, when uh, you know, usually. People reach out, and I'm not saying anything, you know, in, in, um, in any like um, show off kind of a way. Usually, people reach out to to a publisher when they have a book idea, and in this case, the book publisher reached out to me and said, "We want you to write this book." That was a big, um, you know, stamp of uh, approval, right. um, you know, and I was very proud of the book. I am very proud of the book. You know, it was, it was, it. You know, people don't realize how hard. It is to write a book. And even when this is what you do, you know, you want the recipes to be very special and unique and you want the book to, even the intro for each, um, each, each um, chapter, for each spice, it has to be very special, you know, and give information, but in a very fun way. And the recipes, you know, it's interesting because I would used to never cook with recipes. Like I would, you just go off a of feel and ideas, taste. and a, so it was re-educating myself on how to measure everything. You know, like because because you have to share it with the readers. And he was like, "Wow!" And I would find myself um, like trying out a recipe for the book, and I would forget to measure. You know, and I would have to do the whole thing again to make sure because I, you know, I cook with right. my whole body and my soul and my heart and it's like right. crazy and then stop, measure, try it. Like it you're was, tasting and then you're like, oh, oh it needs God. a little bit more of this. Well, how much did I already right. put in? Wow. Right. It was very difficult. And that part, again, choosing the right recipes, um, making it interesting, making it approachable. And then, of course, the whole photography part. Um so it doesn't have to just look good. I mean, yes. So taste good. But it needs to look good. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It needs, and then you have to present each dish in a few ways. The photographer needs to take a picture of each. I would like literally, and, and again, you have about 70 recipes. There's no way to, to do it in one day. So we had to divide it into the weekends. Each weekend would be five recipes. So imagine how many weekends. Right. After the book and all the recipes were approved, then you have to photograph each and every dish yeah that's another six months so wow yeah but it was um it was a big project for me and it was um incredible it's an incredible um achievement you know I, how did the the netflix series so <laughs> that was a lot of fun um a friend of mine recommended recommended me to he he was um somehow we knew about it he sent me an email i believe and i reached out to the production company so this is what I do, and you know, if I'm the right person for your show, let me know. And you know, long story short, there was some. So there's a first Skype interview, you know, almost like it's an interview slash audition. Right. Then you have to take whatever leftovers. So it's another audition next. Whatever leftovers you have in the fridge, you have to tape the whole thing on your phone, make something new out of whatever leftovers you have, and send it to Netflix. And there's a huge background check. And then there's another interview. 
And then after like three months, they say, okay, we, you're one of, we were 24 people selected to the first season. And, you know, they fly you out. There's a three days of shooting. Um, it's difficult. Which is what most people don't realize, right? Which yeah. is they're, they're looking at a 30-minute right. episode, which is taking how long to film? Well, here's the thing. So the first day was the first interviews for the show. The second day, it's the actual competition. And the time that we get is actually the time. So okay. they tell you um, an hour or 30 minutes for the first round, we get 30 minutes. And the second round, it's an hour. You get an hour, but in between those, so those are the only times that are actually the times. Right. But in between, they need to shoot the judges. There's interview with the judges. Right. There's, um, you know, breaks. There's, um, they need to re-clean, you know, clean the set, reset it for the next round. Um, and so that, that day, the second day, it was like 12 hours, yeah. you know, because you don't do, you don't do the, you don't do the, the um, challenges right back to back. You know, it takes some time to reset the studio. And of course, all the other. And then the third day is the, you know, the exit interviews, you know, about how you felt about the whole thing. So, yeah, it's it's a process. It's a process. Um, but it was, it, was, it was an incredible experience. It was challenging. You know, it's a kitchen that you never worked in, right? So you don't know where everything is. Um, it's an unknown food ingredients, you know? It's like, what am I going to get? What am I going to make? And then you have the, the time. So even if you have a clear idea what you're going to do, right. when the clock is ticking, yeah. you get like, you know, just like you get blackouts, same thing in the kitchen. You get, you know, and you have to try everything. And, you know, and I don't know if you've, you've seen the episode, but food needs time. You know, sometimes things need to be soaked in water. Sometimes needs to be slow cooked. Sometimes need, things needs to cool off before you take them out of the pan. Um, you know, when you, when a cake is, you know, you finish a cake, you can't just take it out of and present it. It needs to cool off. Then it's, you know, more workable. You can even slice bread when you're just out of the oven, you know? So the timing is a big factor here. And then you have other talented chef competing with you. So you can be the best, but they right. can do something a little bit better. <laughs> right. Um, so at the end of the day, it was really incredible experience. It was fun. Um, it was exhilarating, you know? The adrenaline how, was insane. Have you noticed that, you know, you, you kind of mentioned a little bit of how challenging it was to, to put what you, your recipes that are normally just flowing out right. of you, right? Just out of your head and your taste exactly. and the mood and everything, putting it down on paper, that was somewhat mm -hmm. challenging. Um, and then you go on this experience with Netflix any anything that you came away from those two experiences that you've you've noticed have made an impact or a change in how you now operate your new recipes, your 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 restaurants, everything that you go, holy crap! Had it not been for these things, I think the book more more than Netflix. I think the book um, kind of like gave me more tools when it comes to like now I have to write new because now I'm opening a new restaurant. So you know the food hall is great, but it's a food hall, so it's not my own. You know. We spoke before we started about how restaurants today need to be an experience, an experience, right? So people want to go to a restaurant, especially if it's for dinner, and have an experience. It's not just the food, you know? You want to have fun. You want to have a holistic experience. So that's what I'm trying to do, building my new restaurant in Hollandale Beach. I want to bring my own, you know, 
a full the full Monty, so the music, the decor, the beverage, um, you know, it's it's the lounge outside. It's more than just yes, it's great to come to the food hall and have a great Israeli Middle Eastern meal. And people love it. Thank God I have a lot of repeat clients and everybody leaves and say, this was great. And the falafel was amazing. And this, you know, which is such a gratifying uh, experience, you know, getting such a beautiful, positive feedback from people. That's what we do it for. Right. Um, but adding on top of it, you know, the Middle Eastern music, the Middle Eastern decor, the pillows, you know, the, the soft seating, right. the, the hookahs outside. If somebody wants a hookah, uh, the spiced um, sangria, for instance, uh, you know, just adding all of that together and the the space itself, it's going to be a full experience. So that's something that that I really want to achieve. Um, but writing the recipes for the new restaurant will be much easier now. Because, wow. Okay. Got it. You know. But yeah, because the consistency, right? Like if you're if you're the one that's cooking everything, then yeah, right. you can kind of wing it. But all of right. a sudden, it's like when you have to when you can't be there, and the restaurant right. still has to put out the same dish as when you're there. Exactly. Yeah. That's but the, the book taught me. Okay, so focus and start writing the recipe. But it it really I practice. So when you I wrote more, for the book, I wrote more than seventy recipes. I wrote I wrote I think eighty or eighty five. Uh, only 70 made it into the book because of size. Um, but it definitely gave me structure and more training on how to write a recipe, you know? Right. So that really helped. And and as far as Netflix goes, um, you know, the show is, in a, it's a show, you know? It's very rare that in real life, somebody will tell you, okay, you have here are some ingredients. You have 30 minutes. Give me a dish in a new kitchen against three other people. Uh, but that's the beauty of the show. It right. really puts you in a very uncomfortable situation in the middle of a competition. I think for me, it was just such a, it was a great exposure. Um, Netflix is incredible. And they do a really great job when it comes to like their production. Um, it was just like a life experience I will always have with me. But uh, hopefully I can do more of those. Like not, not necessarily a competition, but maybe. Um, maybe the Spice Detective becomes its own show. And you maybe, know? Yeah. Traveling around the world, trying different spices. Or even spices. in the US. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea here is like, you know, speaking to the American audience, you know, even just taking the basic American um, staples and adding a spice twist to them. You know, like, right. for instance, you're thinking about, uh, I don't know, mac and cheese, Right. It can be so much better if you have feta and za'atar to it, you know. Just for for example, so you take an American staple and add a little Mediterranean or Middle Eastern twist. Right. So it's still approachable. People know what it is, but they get to try a different version. It could be I don't know. I mean, there's so many. Yeah, ideas. no, there's there's a, there's there's so a lot of really good to, ideas there that that would be you know, very engaging. Yeah, even spaghetti meatball. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it's rare to find somebody who has achieved. Uh, a level of success, any level of success for that matter, and without having experienced some shortcomings or challenges that they had to overcome. Mm. Any in particular that come to mind, uh, and I always like to phrase it as like favorite failures or favorite challenges, things that in the moment you felt like, man, I can't believe this just happened to me or this is happening to me. But looking back, you go, my God, thank God. God, that this happened. Because had it not been for that failure or that challenge, mm -hmm. then I wouldn't be where I am today. 
Well, you know, you know, COVID hit, so I think every restaurant, every chef, every every aspect of hospitality, and suffered and questioned the what's the word, the future of the business. Many people didn't survive, unfortunately. Many restaurants closed. Um, hotels are struggling. It's getting better now. Oh, you know, thank God. So that was a big challenge because it was a lot of unknown. So definitely we were closed for six months. And even when it was ready, time to, to open, we asked ourselves, so if we open, will people come? You know, we're still in the middle of it. When we opened at the end of August of 2020, we needed to open because it was like, it was, you're sitting at home really for six months, not just me, but everybody in the market, you know. But if we open, that means we have to rehire, start, you know, the expenses are going to start building. Will people come? There was no vaccine yet. Um, and that was a big struggle. Um, and it was hard. I got to tell you that the first few months, there was, there was almost no income. But obviously the government helped. There was a PPP, which really, really, really helped. The PPP was like um, the lifeline. And little by little, things improved and Miami became more open and we had a nice influx of tourists. Um, so that, that really helped. Other challenges are, you know, I almost opened something. Um, before we looked into Hollandale, we looked into something here in Midtown. Um, but the rent, that was before the pandemic. And um, the rent was very high. We almost moved forward. And then there were some issues with the kitchen there. There was issues with the infrastructure. And I said, you know, obviously, like you said, today I'm like, I'm like thank God we didn't sign a new contract before COVID. Right. I knew I wanted to expand and we were looking for the right space. But imagine starting a new restaurant. Construction, invest, design, everything. Investing. And then COVID. <sighs> right. Or opening right before COVID because the place was supposed to be you know, a restaurant that went out of business and they were looking for somebody else to take over. Everything is ready. Opening, scheduled, right, you know, the, the winter before COVID. That would have been a nightmare. Uh, but I, I do see the light at the end of the tunnel. I do think that with, the, um, with what's happening in the world now, with the help of the government, we're going to get out of it and we're going to be stronger, wiser. And um, I think the hospitality, especially in Miami, I feel like in Miami... Um, hospitality is going to get, you know, yeah. back back to normal and even more. Any any th quotes or any thoughts that you often think about or that you try to live by? Mm -hmm. for example, it's funny. Like, I was thinking about that. You know, for example, you like this, the, you know, you're going through these yeah. these times when you're like deciding: Am I going to open? Do we open? Do we hire? Do we not? What do we do? Yeah. Anything that comes to mind that you're that you yes. try to live by? Yes, and not just with with everything that you have to try because I've you know I've tried a lot of things I but you know like I had a, a whole thing with um trying to come up with a uh, an easy ice cream machine but that's again that's for another story and it failed but you know it wasn't a big deal but the quote that comes to mind is it's better to have a colossal failure than a dream in the drawer ooh love so that that's you always have to follow your dream even if you fail you tried you know because if you get to the end of your life thinking, I should have, would have, could have, 
and you didn't, that's going to be a biggest regret. You know, what's a time when you've, when you've kind of, that quote has tested you. I think with the first restaurant, because, um, I was, you know, I was managing the catering company, right? The, at least the, the portion of the food and beverage. And, um, at some point, so that was my, that was safety net. Almost like I knew that my passion would, is Jaffa, the restaurant and bringing my passion, my food, my spices, my Israeli, Middle Eastern heritage cuisine to bigger audiences. But the restaurant was not making money. I was making a living with a catering company, right? Um, I was paying my salary. I was not getting salary from the restaurant because the first days um, there was no, there was no, there was not enough income to pay a salary for me. So I was not taking a salary. the The income was literally just enough to pay salaries for the employees and the, the you know the different expenses. And at some point, you had to make a decision. You know, what do you do? Do you stay with the safety net, but give up your passion and your dream? Or you give 100% to your dream, even though it might fail and you might not be able to make a living. You know, you have to live off your saving for a little bit and then right. see what happens. And, you know, worst comes to, you know, and you, you say, what is the worst that can happen? Okay, so you'll have to make, you know, sacrifices or close it and look for another job. Right. Or go back to the catering and... So but it's like... The worst case scenario isn't... As worse yeah, as it yeah, could be, you know? It, right, yeah. right. But again, you don't know what's going to, you know, you don't right. know. It's a little bit unknown. Do they, will you be able to do something else after or not? It's, you know, it's it's not always an easy decision because you need to also pay, you know, especially when you have kids, you know, now you're not just responsible for your, for yourself. You're responsible, responsible for somebody else. Make sure that school is paid, you know, et cetera. So... So you mentioned your daughter several times. You mentioned your your, your background with your, your memories, cooking with your mom and all of that. Similar to quotes, you, there's always people who have a, a heavy impact on our lives. And so talk to me about who are some people who you think are the most influential and why in your life. So the women of my family, right? My grandmothers, my mother, my aunts, because they were the first chefs that I ever met. And their food was incredible. Very inspiring. Inspired me to learn their, you know, their ways in the kitchen. Inspired me to, you know, discover how they did it. You know, we come from very, like, very humble families. Smallest kitchen you can ever imagine. Yet every day and every weekend and every holiday you'll get a set of dishes that were like, I'm sorry, but even the, the biggest French chef in the world will, will not be able to, 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 to make. You know what I mean? Um, and they never went to school. So it was all traditional generation to generation cooking. Incredible. The flavors are so intense and so fresh. Um, so that was, those were the first, the women in my, in my family were the first, my teachers and inspiration. Um, of course, my daughter, when she was born, you know, made me make some great changes, you know, because of her making sure that she gets, um, and of course, children are our teachers, you know, so we have, and we, you know, you see yourself sometime in, in them. Um, 
sometimes you see yourself in them and, and you're happy. And sometimes you go, oh man, I need to change that because that's <laughs> not good. Yeah. yeah, it's true. But I also believe that the children, the souls, they choose their they choose their parents. They choose who they want to be born to because of this relationship of what we can learn from each other for this lifetime. Um, my friend, uh, Shai, Shai Tertner, my business partner in, um, the, in Shiraz Creative, who really believed in me and pushed me to, 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 to become who I am today. Um, his support, he made me his partner. He's like, you need to become my partner. You need to move to Miami. You need to help me open this business here. You need to be the um, director of the culinary part, you know, of, of our company. Um, it was a big push. You know, I never thought I'm going to leave New York. I was very comfortable there. I love the city. But he opened the door to, you know, transformation, you know, really a big, a big part of my transformation, uh, growing as a professional and as a chef um, and pretty much letting me do whatever I thought was right for our hospitality department, you know, so. Awesome. Yeah. So what's next for you in your business? Other than their new restaurant. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to focus on, I mean, so there is something else coming up. It's, um, there's a new, um, food hall in Brickell. It's going to open, I would say towards the end of 2021. It's called Okie Doki. It's a new food hall. It's only going to have five, uh, food vendors downstairs. Uh, and then the top floor is a, that's the one that's right by the I-95 North right, ramp. Right. Got it. Okay. It's, it's going to have a, so the third floor is a performing uh, art center. So every night there's going to be a different live uh, performance. Uh, second floor is a, is a dining room with a bar. And the first floor is five food vendors. So they really wanted to have our concept called Jaffa there. Um, so we're going to see. I, I think it's going to be incredible. I think it's going to be a great food hall for Brickle. Um, That's great because my daughter goes to ballet right next oh, really? door to that. So I can drop her off, You're gonna love go it. eat. <laughs> No, absolutely. And it's it's a very beautiful space with a gorgeous uh, patio in the back. Uh, each floor is a little different. Very beautifully done. Um, you're going to have, uh, I believe there's um, a Latin uh, cuisine, my Israeli, um, Italian. I think there's a sushi bar. There's a bakery coffee shop. So, but beautifully done. So that's, but that's coming at the end of the year. Hopefully within two months, I'm going to open the one in... Um, Hollandale. Okay. And I'm going to stop for a minute. <laughs> Catch your breath. <laughs> Catch my breath. Make sure everything is going well. Everything is, um, you know, it's important. The service, the quality, you know, ingredients. Make sure the team is, you know, on top of it. That's so, awesome. That's yeah. awesome. All right. Switching into the Miami rapid fire uh -oh. segment. I'm going to put you uh -oh. on the spot here because, uh -oh. you know, this is quick questions, quick answers. I'm going to do my best. And Don't everyone on the show answers these. Oh, yeah. So. Should have practiced. Best and worst thing about living in Miami. Best for me is the, is the ocean. Okay. I love the ocean. I think it's, it's amazing. It's a spiritual. It's, it's also fun. And it's just like being by the water, looking out the window and looking at the bay. It's just so beautiful. The okay. worst thing, I think the worst thing is our, our public um, transportation. I think that trains... And it doesn't have to be a subway, but um, kind of hard uh, here in Miami, unless Elon right, Musk but, gets involved. <laughs> well, but look at there is the the what is it called the Metro Rail, the Monorail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes from 15th Street all the way to Brickell, and it's great. Yeah. 
The problem was that when it was build, built, everything stopped at 15th Street, right? Yeah. There was no Wynwood. There was no Midtown. There's yeah. no design district. There's no Upper East Side, no Little Haiti. I mean, it was all here, but it yeah. wasn't as necessary. Yeah. So I heard there's plan to extend it going th- on North Miami Avenue from 15th Street okay. through Wynwood, through Midtown, through design district, up to uh, Buena Vista, Little Haiti, Magic City, Upper East Side. That's awesome. And that will connect the city, at least on this side. Right. Supposedly, there will be also a connection from that train to South Beach on the 395. Mm-hmm. So that will help a lot. Like yeah. if I want to go to, honestly, sometimes I don't want to go to Briggle because I don't want to deal with the, with, the, with the traffic or yeah. parking situation. If I can jump on a, on a, on a little tra- train here on 26 or 30, or 29 or 36, yeah. you know? Favorite food spot and dish, and you can't say yours. Wow, that's very difficult. Because that's that's obvious. <laughs> favorite food spot and dish. Wow. One of my favorite food spots is uh, mandolin. Okay. Okay, because it's easy, it's chill, it's, you know, it's not a complicated cuisine. It's, um, you know, Mediterranean, which I love. And one thing I always, always order there is the Greek salad. Okay. With a glass of wine, you know, you don't need anything else. All right. Perfect way to spend a Miami weekend. Somewhere by the beach. So definitely something to do with the beach. Um, you know, picnic at the beach, have friends on, on the beach, um, and volleyball, of course. A little volleyball, bit of, okay. A little volleyball. So are you like usually down by 8th or, or something like that or where? Right now I go to um, Pace Park on 18th in the Bay. Okay. We have a great, every Saturday morning we have a great group of friends and everybody's like love volleyball, um, and it's very it's very social. So you have people from e- at every level. I even took my daughter. Um, so my daughter's starting now volleyball, and I took her last uh, Saturday, and um, she, we were training. She loved it, so she's getting good. That's awesome. So that's really nice. If you're stuck in Miami traffic, which we've talked about, what are you listening to? So I hear obviously podcasts. A lot. Uh, politics. Any podcast in particular? Um, I listen to Marketplace. I listen to the NPR politics show. I listen also to um, podcasts from Israel, uh, politics, okay. and also history. Also, it's an Israeli podcast okay. that deals with different... It's very interesting because they go through from the Bible all the way to our days. What's the name? Uh, it's called uh, Osim Historia, which means making history. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Any other Miami businesses, individuals, or entrepreneurs that you want to show a little bit of love to? Other than Camila Rojas and Valerie Lopez. <laughs> Anybody else? Shai Tertner. Okay. Uh, the founder of Shiraz Creative. Uh, incredible individual, a visionary, you know, in his, um, from, from day one. His vision was incredible. Awesome. In a second, I'm going to give you the opportunity to kind of like share with the listeners where they can connect with you or anything. But before we do that, is there anything else that, you wish we would have touched on any parting thoughts for the listeners, anything that we, that you wish we would have touched on that we didn't words um, of advice. Anything? Well, you know, coming from me, you know, being the spice detective, I would love for them to experiment more if they've never done that with spices and not be intimidated from spices, cooking with spices, um, you know, following different uh, recipes online and chefs and experimenting with home, home cooking 
I think one of the um, most important things, people talk about diet and American diet and this diet and what's healthy, what's not healthy. I think that the worst thing you can eat is processed food. If you can, even if it's very simple, make your own food from scratch with fresh vegetables, fresh fruit, fresh ingredients, I think that's the key to health. I think what's ruining our bodies is processed food because it has a lot of ingredients and chemicals and preservatives that our bodies don't know what to do with and that eventually it becomes poison. So it's not about high fat, low fat, high carbs, low carb. You know, people get so twisted, sugar, no sugar. It's really about having wholesome food that has not been processed in a manufacturing facility. It's very easy. That's how we used to eat and that's how we should eat. Very people cool. didn't, yeah, people didn't care so much about sugar back then. They wouldn't have desserts, but they, it was homemade desserts. Right. The Very body cool. can deal with sugar, of course. We can't exaggerate, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So if you have a little dessert, it's fine. If it's a homemade dessert, it's better. What is the best place for people to connect with you, find out what you've got going on, stay up to date, everything? Honestly, it's um, even though I have a YouTube channel, I uh, to be honest, I haven't been very good about it. Uh, my my best outlet and the one I connect with all my you know followers and people who come to the restaurant is either a Despise Detective on Instagram or a Jaffa Miami on Instagram. I've been very good with my Instagram. Very cool. Know? And the book, the book where is can called, they find it? Amazon. Amazon. Okay. Yep. My Spiced Kitchen. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Easy breezy. Um, and Eve, thank you so much, man. Thank you. This has been awesome. It's been a pleasure. Hey guys, this is Corrado again. Two quick things before you take off. One, remember that you can find detailed show notes for every single episode at MiamiCreators.com. And two, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share this with someone you think would find it interesting. That's it. Until next time, thank you for listening.